Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, alongside none other than John Tesh. John, how you doing? I'm in sidekick mode. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Let me know. Put me in. All right, this week on our show, uh, Jeremy and Audrey Roloff. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched the show Little People, Big World. It was a huge hit on TLC. Uh, big, big reality show about about uh, a family that has some little people and some uh, full full sized uh, adults, and 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 how they interact running their pumpkin farm. Well, Jeremy, <laughs> it's, it's all true. It's all true. Jeremy is it one was of just. The, I haven't seen it yet, and I just you know I just wasn't expecting that line. Yeah, I'm out yeah, of so, there. So, uh, I'm in though. I'm Jer- in. Jeremy uh, um, got married on the show to his to his current wife his only wife, Audrey, and they've written a book about, uh, about intentional love. Is really, is if I had to boil it down into one thing, it's about intentional love and how they use a, a certain amount of intentionality uh, and, and creativity and faithful love because they, they, they had to kind of date away from the show. And then when they finally got married, like all, all that stuff uh, kind of informed this, this idea of what they wanted their marriage to be. And they have, they're young but they have this really great love story and this really great story about how they continue to love each other intentionally and creatively throughout their throughout their marriage. Now they have a kid and they and they they've written a book together. So how they balance all of that, um, and they have some really great tips and and some really interesting uh, some really interesting anecdotes about how they love each other. Yeah, and I did a little bit of research. This thing is a monster hit. Monster number one book. I mean, they they did the podcast to try to promote the book, but now the book is such a huge deal. Uh, it's 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 major. So it's it's the number one, uh, I think, Christian relationship book. It was like number three overall on Amazon for a minute. This is must a, be good stuff yeah. in there. Yeah, so they're here, well, and I really enjoyed talking to them. They're, they they have some similar stuff, some similar stuff to me, and it was it was fun talking to them. So I'm, were they fighting at all on the? On the uh, they did not fight at all. I don't know why yeah. you would go immediately there, but yeah. they did talk about the importance because, of because Yeah, because we uh, Connie and I uh, did did a show, did an uh, infomercial. We fought during that, so right? About marriage in your first year of marriage, <laughs> right? They've been married at least five years, so that's fine. Oh, that's good. But they. Um, but but yeah, they, they do talk about the importance of arguing in a relationship and how to fight healthy. And I think that's I think that's important because a lot of people think, oh, you know, a perfect relationship is a perfect relationship, and that is the opposite of their message. Well, and before you we to choose, I do every day is their point. Okay. And before we get to it, what does what does intentionality mean? You know, it means that. Good question. So it means that instead of uh, instead of uh, you, it, it comes down to this: if you can fall into love. You can fall out of love mm-hmm. if you're not intentionally working on your relationship every day. If you're not if you're not recommitting and saying I do every single day mm-hmm. in, in your head and in your spirit, and you're not finding ways to intentionally to with purpose oh, show your okay. spouse that you care about them right. and that you do choose them every day, right. then you then you can fall out of love just as easily as the emotion of falling into love. Ooh, They're like big it. anti uh, anti. Uh, Jeremy had a great line, or he has a great line for those of you who haven't heard the interview yet, where he says. Um, a lot of times we choose our our uh, we want to choose our our greater desire uh, over the bigger desire. So, like in a, in a moment, we'll have a strong our greater desire over our stronger desire. So, a lot of times in the moment, we have a stronger desire to serve ourselves, but the greater desire he uses food as an analogy. So maybe you're you're trying to lose weight, right? So your your greater desire is to lose weight, but in the moment, your stronger desire is to eat an Oreo. So you have to choose oh, the yeah. greater desire yeah. in your relationships to everything. That's good. I like it. I know. I like it a lot. Very yeah. insightful couple. I think I'm going to use it in my relationship. You know, I'm trying to get to 30 years. I'm at 27 now. 
Yeah. So there you go. I think, I, I think, you, I think you limp into it. <laughs> hey, speaking of, before we get this awesome interview, there's a new trend for couples I wanted to tell you about, Gib. It's uh, lots and lots of therapy. Yeah, I think it's good. So according to a survey by Mid-America Nazarene University, over 50% of millennials have gone to couples counseling. That's a lot. And, and it's important. And one in four went before they were engaged. Uh, why is it happening? Dr. Megan Fleming is a relationship therapist. She says today's couples expect a lot more from their partners, and uh, younger couples are willing to put in the work to get it right. And it sounds like the roll-offs are the, the same thing. Right. Same, it's, with yeah. that, it's intentionality, right? Yeah. And the other thing, too, is I think a lot of the stigma has gone away. Like, there is a 0% chance that your father would have gone to couples counseling. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, my father I, wouldn't even let my mom work. How about right. that? Yeah. So I think that the nature of marriage relationships, the nature of long-term relationships in our society has changed to be much more of an equal partnership. And with an equal partnership comes the need to define roles for yourselves as opposed to having them predefined by society, which to your point was right. your dad worked, your mom stayed home, regardless of what a professional level mm-hmm. was. So that change means that defining the roles of the family and where, where the abrasions come from, where the preconceived notions, the unmet expectations, because we don't have them as a society anymore, they have to be unique to every relationship. And if they're unique to every relationship, then you need counseling to work it out. Right. And I think that's why people are doing that. That's good. Well, it's happening. Uh, hey, hey, one more piece. Uh, I, I found this interesting. It's from researchers at the University of Colorado. They say, if somebody unfriended you on Facebook, would you then avoid them in real life? That's the rhetorical question. But it was posed by the researchers. They found that 40% of those surveyed said they would indeed avoid real-life contact with somebody who unfriended them on Facebook. This actually makes sense to me because we're so obsessed with social media. Well, here's the deal. I'm all about getting off of Facebook. Like, I think, no offense. By the way, follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash give Gerard. But I'm all about getting off of it because I feel like it's, it's more of a time waste than it is actually a net benefit right now. However... This idea of if you don't want to follow me on, like, why would it, there's got to be some sort of disconnect there. I would rather just log off of Facebook than unfriend anybody. Right. I would never, I would probably never unfriend you unless you really made me mad. Right. So if that's the case, just just hide the post. Yeah, just hide the post. Exactly. Exactly. Because why, why even give the person the fodder? Just don't look at their stuff online, delete your Facebook account, and then you don't have to worry about them unfriending you. All right. Well, it's time for us to- But if you uh, don't want to see my pictures, I don't want to see your face. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. If uh, you don't want to see yeah, what I had for uh, lunch, uh, I don't want to have lunch. Uh, you have an interview to do. You should settle yeah, down yeah, a little right. bit. Uh, I, 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 it's time for us to heal our relationships. It's okay. time for us to protect our relationships. It's time for us to expose our relationships to plutonium, and you have the answer. And here it is. Jeremy and Audrey Roloff. Jeremy and Audrey Roloff, thank you guys so much for being a part of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. Uh, easy for me to say. But yeah, we really appreciate it. We know you guys are busy. So thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Now, I mean, a lot of people do know who you are. You guys very famously came off of one of the most popular and famous reality television shows in the world. And no, you guys are not Kardashians. And, um, and yeah. 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 Uh, your hair is much more natural. Um, the, uh, uh, but, but you, you guys did, you guys were on, uh, on, on little people, big world, right? Yeah. yeah. And did you guys meet during that show or were, did you guys already, were you guys already together before that? Yeah. So funny story. I was doing, I had been on the show for, I think it was five or six years before I met Audrey and the show currently is, I think we're going on like our 15th season. It's been 17 years. That's it's more than been, Seinfeld. Yeah, it's it's quite a long run. It's actually, we just got the Guinness Book of World Record for the longest running family reality television show with a single <laughs> cast. So, wow. 
kind of wow. cool. Uh, been on for a while, but I actually met Audrey, yeah, five years into the process. And part of what drew me to her was she had never seen it. Yeah. And so we kind of had a fun little first couple dates just kind of exploring that and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's kind of part of what drew me to her. She didn't really know anything about me. Well, and too, also at the time that we met, you were taking a break from filming too. So also even wasn't really a part of your life. Like when we were first starting to hang out, you guys were like yeah. on a... We were on Whoa. a couple. We were on like a four like month season off or something. Hiatus, whatever. yeah, yeah, hmm. so interesting. But so, so you had the time to invest in a new relationship, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you guys met on a blind date. Is that right? We did. Yeah, it was a blind date set up by two of our good friends who said, "You guys meet." We said, "Okay." And first it time, wasn't like no. Yeah, we were like first. no, 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 no. And then they insisted, insisted, insisted. And, and we then, were like, uh, we trusted them enough to be like, okay, well, our friends wouldn't set us yeah. up with people that are. Terrible. Our first blind date uh, ever. It was our first and our last. They're exciting. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, so was it like, did you guys, did at, right at first sight, were you guys thankful to your friends who knew you well? Yeah. No, you know what? No. I, I, it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. We call it but... in the book. It wasn't necessarily sparks flying, but it was definitely a lot of interest. Like, I was more like, whoa, who in the heck is this girl? Mm -hmm. And Audrey was like, whoa, he's interesting. Uh, but it was not, you know, the classic Hollywood sparks flying love at first sight, I would say, type meeting. Yeah. And so, you, but it, it felt, but it felt good, right? It felt really good. There yeah. were definitely some very deep soul ties that were made that night that were so unmistakable and recognizable that it kind of is the catalyst for what pushed us into our pursuit of each other. Mm. And uh, Audrey, what was it like once you kind of, so you, you, you walk into the situation not knowing or not familiar with the reality show, but then you have to live and court, to use an outdated yeah. term, uh, mm -hmm. with under the auspices, under this umbrella of, of cameras around all the time. How, what, how, did, how did you jump into that? Right. So we did our entire dating relationship was long distance. So we were hardly together, let alone together around cameras. Um, and Jeremy was like, not really as much part of the show at that time, just because he had been gone off to school. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they well, were a was... couple times when he was down there and yeah. little things here and there, but most of our dating relationship was, you know, long distance. So a lot of it was just friends that talked on the phone yeah. and wrote letters mm -hmm a huge part of you know our book but um yeah we really didn't I didn't really experience the whole filming thing for the first time until I went on vacation with Jeremy's family when we were Ooh. dating and yeah. we kind of tell that story in the book and it was like Jerry and I hadn't seen each other for three months and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden we're seeing each other for the first time in three months and in an airport with a ton <laughs> of people watching <laughs> and cameras rolling so totally natural thing totally my first experience natural. being on camera which was was that really yeah that was your, so that was Audrey's first experience and that was probably a year into dating yeah mm. a couple of years into dating yeah. I think yeah so well, that, and so, then it really wasn't all that to be said you know, I was still, there were still people coming up to me on the street and, you know, you're still dating, Audrey was still dating someone that was involved in, you know, TV in a very large way. So there's, you know. Yeah. I feel like for us, for me, it didn't really become part of my life, quote unquote, until uh, we were wedding. preparing for our wedding because yeah. then oh. a lot of that wedding, they filmed our whole wedding planning process. And of course, a lot of that falls on the bride. So, you know, going dress shopping and cake tasting and all those things. And Jer was still in school in Santa Barbara. So 
Yeah. He, I was actually doing a lot of the filming for us at that time until our wedding day, but yeah, that was my first like real, you know, consistent exposure with it. Which is great to have happen during one of the more stressful and meaningful periods of your life. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say, and that's also why I think the book will be really interesting to a lot of people that watched our wedding is because most everything that's in the book was never filmed. Right. Yeah. It was just, you know, it's all the story that happened to lead up to the wedding. Mm-hmm. You know? So, and you guys have, I mean, you guys have your own uh, podcast of behind the scenes stuff about all of that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Behind the scenes, we kind of started our podcast in an effort to get behind the camera, behind Instagram mm-hmm. and not just our own life kind of show behind the veil, but also the life of others with a ton of interviews and stuff. So Very that's cool. a that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, I'll put a link to your, uh, to the iTunes link to your podcast in the show notes as well. But, but I want to go back to something you guys talk about. You've talked about this um, with me just now, which is writing letters and staying in touch while dating long distance. Um, and that is that is the theme of your book. That is what your your book is about. Is about your long distance relationship, right? It's it's a love letter, uh, a love letter life, and how you guys yeah. were pursuing each yeah. other over that time. I would say it's it's a lot more than our, our long distance relationship is in it, but it's a lot more than that. It's more kind of in general, if you are in a relationship, mm. whether you're long distance or not, how do you pursue creatively? How do you date intentionally? And ultimately, how do you love faithfully? So it's kind of something we believe is true if you're single and preparing for all this, if you're dating a couple years, or if you've, you're married, getting married, or have been married for 15 years, you want something that's creative, you want a relationship that's intentional, and you ultimately want it to be faithful. And we kind of explore all three of those throughout the book and use our story kind of as, uh, you know, I don't want to call them lessons, but just as examples for how we did that. And and so, all right, so let's go back to the, to the long distance part. How yeah. did you manage a long, especially in college, a long distance relationship for three years? Yeah, I think, you know, it was really, really hard. A lot of it was just being clear about our expectations of what our relationship would look like because of long distance. I think we realized early on that we had to be both under the understanding that we were just friends that talked on the phone. Like we weren't going to have the same kind of relationship as maybe what we were seeing around us in our own college spheres of friends that were dating because we didn't get to share life together. We didn't get to go to the football games together. We didn't get to go do homework together or go on date nights on a regular basis. And so we had to come up with creative, intentional, faithful ways to pursue (laughs) each other. And we did that. Letters was one of the ways that we did that. Um, We also sent each other a lot of just surprise gifts and things like that. But we honestly really didn't see each other that much during those years. I was a collegiate athlete. And so I was competing. I I was a distance runner. So I was competing in cross country and track basically all year long. And so every weekend I was running and couldn't go. I only visited Jerry in Santa Barbara, I think three times Yeah. in the three years, three times. No, a couple, like four. No, really? Three? Yeah. yeah. And Jeremy would come home more often to film for the show and help with his family's pumpkin business. So then I'd drive up from college and see him. But, um, I think a big part of it was just like being clear about what our expectations were of each other and realizing that our relationship wasn't going to look like other people's relationships around us until we could be together and, but still pursuing creative and intentional ways that we could love each other while being apart. Yeah. And you guys, you guys rested a little bit on, on the love letter. I mean, you guys talk about the, it's a, it's a lost art. 
We did. Yeah. And, you know, a love letter life. Yes, there is literal as far as the title goes for the book, you know, yeah, there we did literally write each other letters and used that as kind of a backbone uh, for our long distance relationship. But even more than that, we view it as as more of a a metaphorical symbol for how we want our life's love story to look and feel and be because letters are, you know, they're often inconvenient, but they're beautiful. Right. They're uh, they take time. They take patience. There's no delete key. They're not instant gratification. Right. They're they're all of these they're elements. Effortful they're effortful. They take time and tension. All of these elements that go into a love letter are the exact same elements that go into any and all healthy relationships. Mm. Right. Nowadays, we're kind of a culture that's pursuing this instant. If it's if it's you know I want to push delete key. If it if it's broke, I won't fix it. I'll get a new one. If it doesn't happen quick now and right. yesterday, it's not going to happen. Right. So. We want our love story to represent a love letter. It's, so there's a metaphorical aspect there that we definitely try to press into. And, and we did that. Um, well, we, in part, we did that through actually writing love letters. And so you hit on something there that, that I find really interesting, like this idea of, of instant gratification versus delayed gratification and, and how important that is, especially if you want a real long-term relationship now. Uh, yeah. is, fundamentally, is that why you guys decided to write the book? Um. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's necessarily. I'd say that's a part of it. Like, it's just, definitely a part of we it. We definitely want to encourage our generation. I feel like there's this big, like, our generation. So many people are just settling for convenient, quick relationships that then, right. un, that and yeah, end, and you know what and I mean. It's kind of and there's an app for that. There's a couple right. of apps for that. They let you do that. And I'm not dissing on those apps. Like, it's yeah, you know, no, no, no. But <laughs> but the the truth of it is, it's kind of we feel like a lot of people are kind of missing the point. Yeah. And we want in the book, you know, we wrote it in large to, uh, what am I saying? In large. Yeah, we want to write it. Yeah, in large part. Thank you. In large part, we wrote it to kind of try to inspire and ignite and bring people back to this core, um, you know, these core values that are being so easily written off today. And, And what you said kind of reminds me. It reminds me of our deepest desires versus our strongest desires. Oh, interesting. Right. Those two are often at war with one another. Sometimes your strongest desire, just to use a quick and easy example, might be to have an Oreo. But your deepest desire is to lose X amount of weight for that marathon you're running. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like when we value those, so in the same way, approaching the dating game, a lot of people are settling for their strongest desires, instant gratification, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. versus the deepest desire, which might be a valued relationship that takes hard work, time, patience, and effort. Right. And that's a that's a weird twist on a on an old um, C.S. Lewis quote, which I I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher yeah. it. I hope you enjoy my my butchering, but um, which is that that God finds our desires not too strong but too weak, and then yes. he goes on to say we are children content to play with mud pies in the slums without knowing the joy uh, and happiness of a of a holiday at sea, and that's and that seems like that's your point, right? Like yeah, one of precisely. my favorite quotes. I yeah, love I actually quote. forgot you brought that brought you dusted that one off for us. Yeah, good job. <laughs> you're well. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, the but yeah, so so it seems like that kind of fits, right? Like we we choose that instant gratification concept instead of instead of putting in the extra effort. I mean, even in our approach to marriage nowadays, like we go, people are much more likely to say, you know, that was a starter marriage. It was a, it was for a different time in my life, and they don't really put in the work that's required to make something last for more than a decade. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. We, definitely. And Jeremy and I are super passionate about that too. You know, we have this little marriage ministry beating 50% and stuff. And we're just really passionate about 
inspiring people to invest more in their marriage Mm -hmm. and be willing to do the hard work of fixing broken things instead of just throwing it away and getting a new one. Cause like, I remember one time this a few years ago, we saw this picture. It was in like a moving box store or something. And we saw this picture of this old couple and there was a quote on it that said, back in our day, when something's broke, when something was broken, you fixed it instead of throwing it away. And we were like, yeah, that's it. You know what I mean? Like we don't do that anymore with anything. Right. Yeah. And so, wow, of course that's unfortunately translating to our relationships too. And it's just unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's kind of why I said earlier, like our book is way, way, way more than just, you know, long distance relationship dating stuff because in large part, a lot of it is uh, is how to do that and how we did that is prepare more for our marriage than our wedding. Yes, we wanted to Sorry. throw a grand, we wanted to throw a grand party, but when the party's over, the dust settles and the bills are paid. What do you have? Mm-hmm. Well, that is something worth preparing for. Mm-hmm. And and so, how how long have you guys been married? Uh, can I we're ask? coming up on five years. Yeah. yeah. So we're still newbies at yeah. this. Whole thing. We're just trying mm-hmm. to be as intentional as we can because, as we said. You know, it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you guys too. <laughs> five five years is is not a lot of time to be married, um, especially yeah. in in historical context. But lately, it's becoming more of a longer yeah. period. Like once you make it past five years, you're saying something. Yeah, and that's like kind of remarkable. I yeah. mean, I mean, it, there's so much character development. Like when I hear someone's married more than 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. I just go, wow, like. The amount of character. I want to learn from them. I want to learn from them, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Let alone someone's been married for, my grandparents have been married for 70 something years. 60. 60 something years. 60 wow. years. That's insane. Their yeah. marriage can start collecting social security soon. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But like, there's so much character there. And, and I, I don't know. It's we're kind of beating the, the this point, but it's just not what our culture is valuing these days. And that's kind of what we hope our book ignites in people it's just this reevaluation of the type of love story and relationship they're building mm-hmm. how do you surmount what is seemingly insurmountable how do you how do you recommend people get away from uh from the instant gratification in order to take the greater gratification like what is it what is a tip that somebody can do yeah, isn't that the question? I mean, like it's a, they do that thing with the kids where they where uh, yeah. one of the biggest determiners of long term success is if if a kid will how long a kid will wait for a second cookie oh, right. if you get if you put a cookie in front of them and say hey if you don't eat this you'll get a second right. cookie later. Whoa, yeah, yeah, right. I have heard of that. Right, yeah, I know that's really good. I mean, there's so many ways you could answer that question that you just asked. Like, there's yeah, just so many different things. I think for us. You know, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I just tapped her on the shoulder here. I, I, the thing that comes to my brain is another book. Of course, we've all heard of it. The Meaning of Marriage written by Timothy Keller. Mm -hmm. And I think that book, and the reason I bring that up is just because um, I think once we've, once we realign ourselves with the rhythm of marriage, I feel Mm -hmm. like culture right now is dancing out of rhythm. And it's obvious, right? But when we fall back in line with the rhythm of marriage and the purpose, it's why we have it and and why it was designed, I think we'll start to, uh, you know, we'll start to fall back in line with the success of it as well. And the meaning of marriage. So like, if we don't know what the meaning of it is, then why is there any value? And that's where I think like the story of Christianity specifically is so awesome because it gives meaning. If you don't have meaning, you don't have any value and no purpose. And so Culture's just kind of, in my opinion, forgotten a little bit of the meaning of marriage. And I think in that book, Tim Kell 
really, really brings to light in, in a powerful way what the meaning is, what the purpose is. And, and give us the Cliff's Notes for those of us that haven't read it. Yeah, well, the Cliff, note, cliff Notes, I guess, would be, um, let me dust off my brain here. I pulled that <laughs> off. Pulled you started that off. it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that was an archived file there. Um, no, yeah, so the meaning of marriage is, is not the marriage itself. Mm. is kind of, I think, in large part his point. And it was built and designed to actually do something. And I think in, if I say in large part again, you can just stop me. But <laughs> in large part, a lot of the meaning of marriage is to represent something greater than not just ourselves, but as I said, the marriage itself. And, and in the book, he kind of points out, like, you're supposed to be representing the gospel. You're supposed to be representing that ultimate love story. And in doing so, you will inevitably point people not just to that love story, but you'll use yours in a powerful way, hence giving it meaning. So going off of John, not John Eldridge's book, um, who wrote, uh, what's that one book, The Happiness Over Holiness? Yeah, what if marriage was meant to make you holy uh, and not to make you happy? Yes, exactly. So what if marriage was meant to make you holy, not happy? Once we have that... Sacred marriage, Gary Thomas, I believe is the... Gary Thomas, sacred marriage, thank you. Yeah, once you have that straightened out, I think we'll be able to pursue the meaning in a much better way. But right now, culture just has forgotten meaning, forgotten purpose, and forgotten the value, I think, of marriage. And, and so I think that's too, the Sparks note. Timothy Keller like makes this brilliant point in the book about how isn't it, you know, a lot of people rely on feelings of love to lead to actions of love, but right. he says this thing about how isn't it true to say that actions of love would then lead to feelings of love? So right you know, going out of your way to put forth the extra effort and intention will create yeah. those feelings as opposed to relying on those feelings of love in order to do love, loving acts for your spouse, you know what I mean? Or yeah. relationship. And so I think that's just a huge part of like, you know, you look at like the falling in love epidemic. Yeah, It's like everyone falls in love because they have this emotional ecstasy feeling of romanticism and this whole thing. There, yeah. Right. But then, like, do you have the actions of love that will produce those feelings of love over a long period of time yeah. for the rest of your life? Right. And, and that requires a lot of sacrifice and intention and effort yeah, and yeah. servanthood. So, yeah. So I think there is a, um, I think there's a neurological equivalent here. So the, the uh, my, if I remember my college biology, there is a, um, our, there is an upper effect of love for like the first four to seven years. And after that, it had so it's a very stimulating thing, and that's kind of when people talk about the butterflies and the feelings of being in love. And then right. after after about seven years, it switches the the into a calming uh, reaction. So when you're around your spouse, your your blood pressure drops, your um you're you're much more sedated around that person, and you have that's why there's the seven year itch is because of that transition from yeah. the upper to the downer effect. Um, and it, it can be, you know, that can be hard for people, but that, that ultimately that's a much better, yeah, uh, a, a much better reaction to, to being around a partner is yeah. having that calming effect. That's very interesting. Yeah. And I think that says a lot about our, our culture because I hear that and I just think like, oh, wow, that's an interesting stage of love. Right. Like love as it progresses, goes through these stages and, I think how we react to them is in large part a byproduct of the culture we find ourselves in. Our yeah. culture celebrates youth. We celebrate spontaneity. We celebrate do it when you want, how you want, why you want. You do you. You do you. And, <laughs> and if it doesn't make you feel Yolo. excited, 
YOLO. Yeah. Right. And if it doesn't make you feel excited and off the cuff with nerves, then, well, maybe it's time to go do something else. Mm-hmm. But in pursuing that, you know, that lifestyle, we're missing out on that that third or fourth stage of love that you're describing. That's what yeah. that reminds me of. Sorry to ramble there, but yeah. um, super good. Um, so you talk about, and this brings up something interesting. So I think as a society, we, we treat love as a, um, as you said, as an emotion. And you really emphasize in the book, the idea that love is a choice. Um, why, why, why do you think like, first of all, how are you going to convince people that and why beyond what you've already said, why is that so important? Yeah, well, I think something we should all, and babe, I'll let you run with this one, but something we should all probably realize is if you can fall in love by accident, you can definitely fall out of it by accident. Mm. And a lot of times we kind of leave that second part out. It's like, oh, I'm in love and I, it just happened. Yeah. Something we kind of share in our book is you can't necessarily help who you fall in love with, but you right. can help who you spend time with. Mm. And spending time with someone is a seemingly accident or sorry, it's not accidental. Um, you know, you, you kind of, you prioritize it, you make it happen, you do certain things. It's easy up front because obviously you're falling in love and there's all the, those chemical neurons firing and, and the vision of a, of a marriage and a the good life, quote unquote. But then when the rubber hits the pavement and it gets a little difficult, we somehow forget how to do that. Um, and I'm, I'm maybe trailing off from the original no, question, but I think that's something like for us, that was a big wake up call to like, wow, if we're not going back to the Timothy color quote, if we're not intentionally pursuing some actions and some ways to do love as a verb, then ultimately love as a noun will disappear. Interesting. Interesting. And it's the same way with, you know, we, I want to be a thankful person that has a life of gratitude, but I have to choose that every day. It's the same with, you know, I want to be a joyful person, but I have to choose that every day. It doesn't just like always come naturally. Sometimes it does just in the same way that sometimes those feelings just come naturally, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but I also have to make the intentional choice to choose it on a regular basis over and over and over again. And like something that Jared and I have said, you know, in the online space a lot is like, we, we have this whole thing about like, you know, in a moment you say, I do to your spouse and you make this future promise, but then you have to stay. I do for the rest of your life by basically living out. I do every single day and living into that promise for the rest of your life. And so, because really your wedding day is a proclamation of a future promise, not current feelings. It should be, you know? So how can we do that? Like, what are some tangible ways that we can do that in our marriage day? And like, that's what I yeah. feel like we hope readers will get from our book is just some creative, intentional ways for people to, to do that wherever they're at in their love mm-hmm. story, whether it's dating, engagement or marriage. Um, so Definitely. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you mentioned the gratitude thing there, and I cannot tell you how many people we've had on this show uh, who, you know, psychologists who talk about, about, uh, about gratitude and happiness, right? We had um, Sean Acor and uh, Dacker Keltner, and one of the things that they talk about is being, uh, being grateful and being intentionally grateful, like taking time in the morning and in the evening to come up with yeah. things and, and uh, to come up with things you're grateful for. And what ha- ends up happening is when you make that commitment to write things down and to be grateful for things, right. you start yeah. to see the world through the yeah. lens of where can I find something to be grateful for right now? Because I'm going to have to come up with something later, but I feel like right. you're applying that same logic and it, and it, it works for me 
to a, a committed relationship where where can I find ways to be in love with my partner today uh, because I need I, I need that I need to find that I can't just let that happen yeah. we I don't know if that's are those the people that did the five minute journal uh, no they didn't make a journal so, so Dagger Keltner started the, like the he's a he's at Berkeley and he started a wellness institute there and um, uh, Sean Acor is, has written a couple of books about happiness, the happiness advantage, and 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 all of and basically the thesis is, you fake it till you make it. You got to find reasons to be happy, and almost all of us have a reason to be happy, and just really double down on that. Um, that's right. that's that is the ultimate Cliff's Notes single yeah, thesis. No, it's, yeah. it's overly reductive, as anybody would say, but still, For but sure. still true. For sure, yeah, and, well, and going back to your point, it's just being proactive instead of reactive. Right. We seem to be proactive in many areas in our life. It's why we wear a seatbelt in the car. Right. We're proactively protecting ourselves instead of reactively right. protecting it when it's too late. And the same way, try to do that with, you know, what they're suggesting. Same way we try to do with our marriage. Yeah. And now and now the new thing in safety is is preventing accidents and not surviving them. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, radar. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, so what, go ahead. Yeah. Which is what? Oh, so, yeah. I, I was just going to say, like, you know, you, I think the point's already been made. But just, yeah, we want to do the same thing with our marriage. We want to protect it before we get in the crash yeah. so that when the crash comes, like, at least we're not surviving. You know, we're working through the challenges or struggles that may come our way. But we're not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. You want blind spot projection from right. <laughs> radar for, for your marriage. Yeah. So what is, what is, what are these intentional things? Like what is, you know, what, what is something proactive that people can start doing? Yeah. So, I mean, just, this is just a thought that immediately came to my mind since we were talking about the gratitude thing, but you know, I've, I've done the five minute or the five minute journal this past year. I've really loved mm -hmm. it. It's basically that write down three things that you're thankful for in the morning and at night. Mm -hmm. And, but something that Jerry and I have done in the past few years of our marriage um, Jeremy did it for me for a year as a birthday gift. He basically wrote down on a slip of paper every single night, one thing that he was either grateful for me for, or one thing that he appreciated about me or like a praise over me. And he would, it was just, you know, one sentence, a couple words, whatever. And he'd write it on a slip of paper and tell it to me every night. And then he put it in this jar. And so at the end of the year, I had this jar full of ways that Jeremy, you know, and I, it's not like I went back through them and read them all. And it was like this, you know, I didn't yeah. really do that, but I think it was more just, yeah, it was the act of him doing it. And like you said, writing it down just in yeah. the same way that writing down things you're thankful for, you know, the act of writing it down really made him more grateful for me and made me feel very loved and appreciated that we decided this year to do it for each other because mm. we were like, well, we I want to do it back. So we have this giant mailbox on our wall in our bedroom and, you know, some nights we miss it, but we try to every night write down on a slip of paper, just one thing that we're thankful for, for or one thing we love about each other and slip it in the mailbox. And that's just a very simple two minute thing, you know, not even one yeah. minute thing that we can do for yeah. each other yeah. as a daily deposit. And that's, that's beautiful. Uh, you guys, how, how old is your, uh, you guys have a daughter? Yeah. She's eight, 18 a months. Year, a year and a half. So, uh, did you guys write this book during the pregnancy, during the early stages of life, or, or was it done before before she was born? No, we wrote it when she was three months old to six months old. Okay. So we yeah. wrote it in the first three months, and then we edited it when she was she learned to crawl the day that we turned in our manuscript. So we were like, praise hands for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The mobility like, change changes everything. Yes. Definitely. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's been we we signed the contract. Uh, with our publisher 
a week, two weeks before I had Ember, our daughter. Yeah. I so asked, I, I, I asked that because, uh, how, I mean that I, I, especially the, the temporal demands of parenting young children, right. probably more so than, uh, than at any other stage in life can kill romance. I mean, how have you guys found that these proactive concepts have worked in the face of a tiny little need machine that walks around you all the time? Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, I, I believe that there are seasons for things. And, you know, if yeah. you're, you know, some seasons aren't going to deliver the same results as other seasons. But a time to makes... reap, a time to sow, yes. exactly. a time to laugh, a time to cry. Exactly. And, you know, it's so obvious, but sometimes when we're in it, we forget that, you know, I forget to give ourselves grace. Um, mm -hmm. But even amidst the grace, we can still be intentional. So a couple other ways we do it is we do something called our marriage journal every Sunday it's a way that we push back against the tide of busyness and the tyranny mm. of the urgent and just connect once a week with each other. Try not to let a week go by where we're not connecting on, on an intimate level. And we do that through our marriage journal, um, which is actually something we self-published a few years ago, the marriagejournal.com. But another way we do that is we try to find significant dates to, you know, continue our, our letter writing. So like on our anniversary, we write each other letters, um, we, we write each other letters on birthdays and stuff. And it's just a way for us to, I'm in, I'm still intentional because what are letters again, they're intentional. They take time, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. Um, but also scheduling, I would say like with kids, it's okay to schedule stuff. Like we schedule time to be intimate, you know, and mm -hmm. because even with one kid, it doesn't necessarily happen as, uh, randomly as it did, once did. And so. I think scheduling is a perfect way to just do that and not to feel guilty or ashamed about that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do a lot of people are like, oh, what do you mean I got to schedule sex? It's like, yeah, like, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> At least it gets done, right? Yeah. <laughs> At least it's not, it's not cleaning the rain gutters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And how, it's so, so you feel like the intentionality is almost made more manifest in your time having, after having a kid? Uh, I mean, I think we've had to definitely give ourselves grace. I mean, on, to be honest, like this, since we've had our daughter, it's been crazy mm -hmm. busy. Like life yeah. has just come With at us a million and... miles an hour. Yeah. And, you know, we, but I would also say to, you know, Jeremy and I, we get the privilege of being able to work together and be together a lot and yeah. like together, raise a daughter together, you know, pursue our dreams together and we love that and we don't take it for granted and are so thankful for that and I think just just presence with each other um has been something that's worked in our favor because uh you know I have a lot of friends whose husbands get their two-week paternity leave or whatever and then they have to go back to work and right. they're home with the, like for me we didn't have to we didn't experience that in the same way um and I think you know we're really fortunate and, and grateful for that. But I think yeah. that's something that's kind of worked in our favor just amidst the busyness of a lot going on, <laughs> yeah. you know, so. With all of this stuff that you guys have going on with, with, with all of the time challenges that you have, but you do also, like you said, it's, it's great that you guys have the kind of flexibility where you work together, you are together a lot. Um, yeah. right. and you guys are relatively young. So what, what would you say has been the biggest challenge you guys have had to have had to survive as a couple? Oh man. Oh, um, <laughs> that has taught you, that has taught you how to be intentional in this way, you know, most, most specifically. Yeah. You know, I, I would say just being that we're still in the first five years of our marriage, technically, mm -hmm. 
the colliding of our uh, the colliding of our personalities and figuring all, all that out, you know, is something everyone has to deal with. And it, it's, I wouldn't say it's been like a huge challenge, but it's, we're both ambitious and we mm-hmm. both like to do things and that's kind of gotten us in trouble. It's done amazing things for us, but we've also recognized it's got us in trouble sometimes as we've kind of neglected to do other things or forgotten about some things that like really mattered like our, our, our friend life, you know, or, yeah. uh, you know, even physical health. It's like, so that's been kind of a difficult, would you agree, babe? Has that been kind of, as we figure that out and learn and the Enneagram has been really, really helpful in how we assess that. I was going to um, ask you guys about that. Yeah, <laughs> no, we love it. It's been super, super helpful. Outside of our marriage journal, that's probably been like the biggest tool for understanding each other. We have a lot of, as Emerson Egridge calls it, heated fellowship though in our household. Yeah. Where we, <laughs> the Enneagram, I think when they they did this like comparison thing of our Enneagram numbers and they call us fire and ice. Fire and water, yeah. No ice. I think it's- Which is, which is Game of Thrones, by the way. A song of yeah, ice right. and fire is the actual yeah. name of the theme of the uh, book series. I, I know. Oh, yeah. is it really? Yeah, That's yeah. That's it. Yeah, because it's all about, I mean, not spoiler alert, but it's all about Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen getting together. Oh, that's why, that's why yep, yep. nice. And then there's this, like, there's the thing of, like, well, who's going to win? But then what if they come together? They'll be unstoppable. Oh, I yeah. feel like we're, like, in that tension, you know? Like, well, when we come together, we do some cool stuff. But if we're not, you know, vibing, if there's a tooth missing in the gears, you know? Right. <laughs> Heated fellowship. One of the things that I dig, for those of you that don't know, the Enneagram is an ontological perspective that puts people, Ennea is is nine, Graham is is drawing. So there's like this drawing of nine different personality types. And and what's cool about it, what I like about it over a lot of other um, ontological formats or, or worldview formats is that is that there is a a good, a bad, and a, like uh, and a healthy way of looking at each of the numbers. So the, no number is better than another one. There are just healthy ways and unhealthy ways in which those numbers are, those personality types are approaching the world. And yeah. I find it very helpful in understanding how other yeah. people see and deal with things, and and being able to see things from their perspective. I think is the first step in in managing conflict. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, it's been awesome. We love that about it. And the fact that you can have wings, like Chris Hewitt's, I think was one, he puts it like it, the Enneagram doesn't show you, doesn't put you in a box. It simply shows you the box you're in and how to navigate it and get out of it, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it does that better than other personality tests, just because, you know, a lot of personality, te- personality tests, people will use their personality as an excuse right. for bad action which is obviously you know not the right way to use these things they're supposed to be self-growth you know self-discovery for self-growth tools Mm -hmm. so like let me just use this as an excuse you know but i think yeah it's been hugely helpful for jeremy and i in our marriage when we were in premarital counseling one thing that our premarital counselors really impressed on us was just to to be constant students of each other to Mm. be of one another and just always like realize that there's always more to learn about each other and discover about each other and that that should be an exciting thing like something that excites us like realizing that we may be married to a new version of 
our spouse every single year. Like, and, and that's exciting to me. That doesn't scare me that Jeremy 10 years from now might be totally different than he is right now. That's exciting to me because we get to refine each other in that process of growing towards a better version of ourselves. And that's yeah. where I feel like we Graham and things like, you know, love all or yeah. what's the love languages and like th- those kinds of things, just tools that help us get to understand each other better have been like so helpful. Yeah. Right. And when you guys get married as young as, as young as you did, they feel like, um, I feel like there's, you're, you're going to, like you said, you, the change is not, um, right. is, is an inevitability. It is going to yeah. happen. And how you guys yeah. choose to change together is going to determine everything. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Definitely. How does that speak into the way that you guys argue and fight? Does that does that help you with the arguments or 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 not? Uh, what exactly? Like just this, the Enneagram I, is a tool. The Enneagram is a tool, but also just understanding that like understanding the other person's perspective and your desire to grow together. Yeah, definitely. Well, we actually we have a whole um, chapter in our book called Code of Conflict. And I didn't of- accidentally ask the question. Yeah, yeah, and and we uh we kind of go through that a little bit and just dissect how how that happens. And we believe fighting is there's there's some of the best road markers we can possibly have on the journey to a healthy relationship because fighting there are basically signs saying like, hey, something's up, something's wrong. Here's, you know, and sometimes it's just a bad day. You stubbed your toe and you're angry. You Not know, necessarily so. fighting, though, conflict. Right? Yeah, conflict. But because like, fighting is when I feel like it escalates beyond. Yeah. Well, we tried to not. Conflict is inevitable. <laughs> fighting is avoidable. Okay. You know, it, right. it takes, um, you know, you have to be a Jedi master to ever get there. But like <laughs> fighting, we kind of think of as far as like, you know, what, how we all we need to define fighting and I'm not going to do that right now, but like, you know, like actually angry fighting, you know, you know, that's, uh, what am I saying? Like I, I wanted to find that before I say what I'm going to yeah, say. I was, I was going to ask you what, what, how would you delineate the idea, the difference between conflict hard. and fight and fighting? It's, it's hard to do, but, but it's where does do. that line happen? Because it, it would be like this, you know, like, conflict you can have conflict but handle it and manage it in a healthy way which is what we try to talk about in the book with our code of conflict but when conflict escalates to fighting that's the unhealthy space of like you're you're being reactionary instead of responsive you are both trying to prove a point instead of reconcile like the goal isn't we're on the same team let's work through this the goal is now I want to get you to understand where I'm coming from. And so I'm going to yeah. come at you with these things right. that are, you know what I mean? And it's and like, then, and that's the, where it gets to the unhealthy point. Yeah. And then the wall of pride goes up. And right. then next, next thing you know, you're five years down the road making ultimatums you never thought you would ever do. Right. The wall and, of pride, just like the wall in the North, Game of Thrones. Yeah, circle. right. Totally. And Jeremy and I, we, you know, we like to be real honest about the fact that we are not, like a lot of people just, yeah like you we, guys never fight and it's, it's like, like we do. no we do heated fellowship <laughs> you know, yeah we we definitely have conflict in our marriage and like i'll be the first to say that it's on a regular basis and jeremy and i also we are both masterful at playing devil's advocate so mm-hmm. we yeah. will unintentionally like pick arguments with each other just by the simple fact of yeah wanting to pose the other side and we like to have conversations about heavy things and talk yeah. about controversial topics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And just 
within our own marriage, we like to do that. And so yeah, I think that's something that we have to be really aware of is, hey, are you being devil's advocate right now? We're on the same team. We're not actually against each other here. We want to like agree. Yeah. You know, it's just that we have this tendency to want to poke the other side of things, you know? Yeah. And, so. and bottom line is like everyone can have their own code of conflict as we call ours to navigate this arena that mm-hmm. is inevitable you right. know because there's going to be conflict inevitably but like we just encourage people um to discuss hey when this happens what are the things we're going to fall back on what are the things that we can look at that are printed out on the wall that we say oh yeah we're gonna i'm gonna remember to be to 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 drop my wall of pride when this happens, mm-hmm. or I'm going to remember to take cooling off periods, or I'm going to remember to seek a uh, resolution. You know, I'm going to seek the list can go on. It's like, whatever your code of conflict is, it's going to be different for everyone. But I think having the discussion and just exploring how you and your partner or spouse, you know, what uh, are your boundaries going to be for yeah, it? Right. How you guys are going to navigate it is an important kind of helpful task for everyone. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I, I think that that's, I think that is in a large part, you talked about earlier, the rhythm of marriage. And I believe that that kind of is the rhythm of marriage, right? Yes. Yeah. So good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. It's, and the goal isn't necessarily to, uh, to avoid conflict altogether. The goal is to grow through it, to become the type of people we were designed and supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And conflict's an immensely powerful tool to do that. Yeah. It is. And it, it reveals your own biases in the process, too. Totally. Exactly. Yeah, it's a road sign. Right. I mean, yeah, like yeah. your own, like your own, even the stuff that comes from your parents, like, oh, no, this is how it's supposed to be. Your own structures and yeah. implementations and, and helps to determine not yeah. two different people's worldviews, but one cohesive family worldview for yeah. you and your spouse. It's good. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. It's good. Uh, well, you know, I've been taking up a lot of your guys' time. I, there's a couple more questions. One, one thing is, uh, we're going to get into the summarizing here. Why? What, what's the one thing that you guys want people to walk away from this book with? Like, why? Why did they? Why did you write it? For whom did you write it? And what are you hoping they walk away with? Yeah. So we wrote this book uh, for every. We like to say for everyone. Like, if you're single, I think there you can be preparing for you know, preparing yourself for a healthy relationship. If you're dating, obviously this is a must read in our opinion. Um, even if you're married, I think there are a lot of tools and tips and just inspiration in it to pursue a marriage that is creative, intentional, and faithful. So we kind of met it, wrote it for all of those genres. And a lot of the principles we believe we talk about are, are you know, universal in the sense that like they don't just apply to you if you're dating, they would right. apply to you throughout your relationship Mm. and what I think we want people to walk away from with it or did you want to add something there David oh I was just going to kind of prompt you because you always say the story thing about you know living the story that so that's what we want people to get walking away from it is um is we want people to put it down and just feel its own unique love story in, in an amazing way um we want people to start thinking like wow like you know, what is, what is the story I'm going to read when it's read back to me one day, Mm. you know? And so that's kind of, um, what, what love story are you writing? That's kind of the, the question we want people to be asking themselves at the end. And Jeremy, throughout the whole book, Jeremy would say 
a lot of times over and over, you know, he would ask himself that question, what kind of love story do I want? And that's what really pressed Jeremy to be creative, intentional and thoughtful and thank and faithful in our love story and still does today. And both Jeremy and I have this kind of drive of like, we love stories and we have this don't want to waste your life attitude. And Mm -hmm. I feel like for Jeremy, that was something that really compelled him to pursue me and still does. And I hope that that's something that readers can take away as their own inner monologue of what kind of love story do I want? Is it one that, you know, am I being creative? Am I being intentional? Am I being faithful? And to take these ideas and tools and helpful tips and think discussion points from our book into their own love stories and help them live the love story that they'd want to have read back to them, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. I think that's a great way to look at like kind of everything in life is yeah. You know, yeah. what am I going to, I'm really into stoic philosophers. And one of the takeaways that they have is memento mori, which is remember you will die. And mm-hmm. as you make decisions to remember that at some point this is going to be over, so yeah. why are you doing the thing that you're doing right now? Is it, does it, does it present that narrative of what you want to look back on right. your life with? It's good. Well, yeah, that's really, that's actually, that's a really good question to ask. Um, you know, the, the classic, the, 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 yeah, well, anyways, Audrey just <laughs> <laughs> summarizing. Yeah, that's, that's really good. <laughs> I was going to go off on a tangent, but maybe I'll hold off. Well, I love, I love tangents. It's literally why yeah. we created the podcast, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, before I let you go, uh, how can people how can people follow up with you? Where where can they find you? And if they have more questions, what can they what can they do? Yeah, so we've got uh, a lot of irons in the fire, but the rolloffs.com is where you can pretty much find everything we're up to these days. Fantastic. Or just our names on social media, Audrey Roloff and Jeremy Roloff. Yep. So links yeah. to the rolloffs.com, links to where to buy the book as well as to all of their social media accounts, will be in the show notes, guys. Don't be afraid to check them out. One last thing, and I ask it to literally everybody I have on the show, what is one thing that people can start doing today that will make them, that will give them a better life, that will, that will make them better people, happier people? Yeah, I, maybe this is because I'm hot on this right now, but uh, wake up 45 minutes earlier. Wow. I like it. That like has, it. that has, I feel like if we don't have enough time in the day, it's found in the morning and that has proven itself true to me this year. And it's been something that has, that has dramatically kind of changed my days as I just have that time and an hour sometimes seems like too much. That's why I say 45 minutes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, I think, I think that's a, you know, almost every major CEO does that back to one of your points earlier of being proactive instead of reactive. Like yeah, you're, right. you're able to be proactive when you have that morning time. Yeah. It's the first decision we got to make in the day. And if you own it, your whole day will be set yeah. up. I would say take one day off of social media. Ooh. How, how often? Just we period? Take a weekly, we take a weekly Sabbath, like yeah, a, we, a weekly good. day of no work and no social media and no Aaron running like just a day to be content and grateful mm-hmm. and appreciate mm-hmm. each other and be offline and mm-hmm. that's been a saving grace for us yep. in so many ways yep, that's how, good. how is that do you, do you know what to do with yourselves how do you how do you yeah. order food the most that's, refreshing thing ever that's why it's so good it's like it does go take back. some preparing for though I mean it yeah. does like you make a good point I mean you can't we, it's not just a flippant thing it's something that we actually are intentional about preparing for and carving out that space so that we can actually be present in that day you know, like 
there's a little crafting I got to do. So I just had this image. So uh, uh, um, I, I, the, the, I grew up in, in Los Angeles and there's a, a good population of Orthodox Jews in LA. Oh, yeah. And oh, one yeah. of the things that happens is I forget the name for it, but but um, Orthodox temples will sometimes hire Gentiles to turn the lights on so they don't themselves violate the Sabbath. That oh, is. wow. So I'm just yeah. thinking, do you, got, do you hire a Gentile or some equivalent <laughs> yeah. to take pictures yeah. of you for Instagram and post them so that you can stay connected to your followers? No. yeah. No. We well, are. actually, come to think about it, sometimes our assistant posts on, there on Google 50. But... <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. That is funny. But we take a full day off our person. Yeah, we take yeah. a full day off, and it's been – that's a really good really one, good. babe. It's been probably one of the best things for our mental health and everything. I so. love it. All right. Well, Jeremy and Audrey Roloff, thank you guys so much for your time. And once yes. again, links to everything in the show notes for you guys to follow up with them. And uh, we just appreciate you being on the show. It's been thank a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. I have to tell you, Gib, I love it when something like this happens, when, uh, when somebody comes up with a great idea to improve relationships, right? And then uh-huh. the world responds by making it a, a, a number uh, one product. Yes, yeah. yes. I, I, I agree. And uh, special thanks again to the Roloffs for being on our show today. That's it for our show. If you like Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really help us, helps us out a lot. Also, tell a friend about the show. That would go a long way in helping us continue to do this. If you want to follow up with us, facebook.com slash John Tesh is where we spend most of our time. We post videos there. We go. We do Facebook Lives. We respond to, try to respond to every single comment and message. Uh, also, John Tesh is on Twitter, at John Tesh, uh, and on Instagram, at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard, facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Links to all that in the show notes. Uh, and, and I guess... Well, I guess that's kind of that's kind of my spiel. That was it, man. I mean, it's like you you could do a weather report in thirty seconds. Yes, I mean, I, uh, oh, especially oh, in Los I, Angeles. Hey, don't forget, Gib and I are always on stage somewhere. So just go to yes. teshmusic.com. Teshmusic.com to see where we're going to be live, including uh, a show in a couple of weeks in Colorado. Yep. And I'll put a link to where you can get tickets to see us pay, uh, uh, record our next PBS special live. So you can go right there and and see us do that. And it's, the tickets are free. You just have to get yourself there. I think you need to count down to the post here. Oh, okay. Uh, How's everything going with you? Is your dog okay? She was leaking. That's it for today. Thank you guys for listening.